good looks at a microphone aside. Hey, welcome again. Uh, if you've joined us since I welcomed last time, uh, you, you are also welcome here. Um, look, uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get into God's Word. Um, Jesus, thank you for your Word. Thank you that you speak to us in it. And thank you, Lord, that you speak to us not just on a superficial layer of rules and regulations, but, Lord, you speak a true story to our hearts that brings peace into us and pours it out from us. Well, we pray that that's what would happen today, that you would be building up us as a people who see your goodness to us, who see the peace that you bring into our lives and who are fountains of that peace in this world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already uh, and, and you would like to, uh, let me encourage you to grab a Bible and, and whip it open to John chapter 20. Um, this is actually one of my favourite texts in the Bible. Um, I, I think we've actually preached it before here at Gospel Church. Uh, I, I wrote my, my um, thesis paper. You, you do like a, a, a mini thesis because you're not a real master's student when you do a Master of Divinity. Um, and I write my, wrote mine on this, on, on, on what Jesus means when he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And I didn't do that because I was like, well, gosh, what am I going to do? I did it because I love this. Uh, this is such an important, such a beautiful piece of the Bible. But before we get to that, let me tell you a story. Um, a long time back now, so like before, before uh, I was a pastor of this church, or of any church, uh, before... I had any kids, uh, not before Crystal and I were married, but not long after Crystal and I were married, and this might shock and disturb some of you, we went to an Anglican church for a little while. Didn't we all? <laughs> we grow, don't we? we no, <laughs> that's rude. Um, there are some beautiful Anglicans in the world. Uh, God, God, thank you for them. Um, but, you know, um, uh, there are some great ones, but, uh, and I've got nothing against Anglicans, but... Uh, you know, some of my best friends are Anglicans, but, uh, but at this church, they, they, you know, had all sorts of quirks and interesting bits. You know, I'd, I'd been a Baptist for a few years before that, and then I was a Baptist for the rest of my life after that, presumably. And so, you know, it had all of those quirks of a Baptist walking in and people reading a liturgy out. But, um, but they would sing this song there uh, called, Here I Am, Lord. Does anyone know it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the, it's the sort of song that if you Google it, you find a guy in, in a black friar's robe um, uh, holding a guitar and looking meaningfully into the distance on an album cover. Um, he looks, uh, and this is, a, this is a pop culture reference that literally no one will get, but raise your hand if you do. He looks a lot like Jack Black from the film Nacho Libre. Anyone? Anyone? Scotty, thank you. Um, it's the best film ever. But uh, this song, I kind of half love and half cringe at it um its chorus goes like this it goes here i am lord is it i lord i have heard you calling in the night i will go lord if you lead me i will hold your people in my heart now what i love about that was the fact that it encouraged people to think about the calling of god on our lives to consider am i called to be a a missionary am i called am i specially sent by god to a special work you know, I think um, that is such an important question for all of us to ask. You know, God, God sends some people to travel to, to another town, to plant a church, to another country, to be a missionary. He sends people to go off to Bible college and prepare for things. He does special sending works in the lives of his people. You know, churches should be sending people out in that way. 
That's normal. That's good. Um, we're not just here for our little thing that's happening. We are a people of the kingdom of Jesus that stretches across this entire world and is spreading even still. But at the same time, here's what I found a bit cringy about it. Um, there's something that didn't sit right there, and it wasn't just the old the, the, the Jack Black reference. I didn't, know, I didn't look that up, picture up at that point. The question, is it I, Lord? I will go if you lead me. You might hear those words, and you might be inspired to go, but you also might hear them and think, well, maybe God hasn't called me. You know, I haven't heard him calling in the night. There's been no special voice moment. Uh, I haven't had the, the Samuel bit, which it's referencing, where you know, I'm lying in my bed and Samuel, and yeah, that, that, you know, that's probably irreverent. But anyway, um, uh, you know, that hasn't happened to me. So I guess, I guess maybe I'm not called to go. Uh, maybe that's something that only some Christians are called to, and, and I'm not one of them. You know, I'm just I'm just one of the regulars. I go to church, and you know, that's that's. Other than that, I'm basically just just John, right? And, and of course, this leads us into some really big questions, doesn't it? Who is called to go? And how do you know if you're called to go? And if you are called to go, well, what do you do next? We're uh, we're in our final week of our preaching series, heart, tongue hands and feet, which you might know because it's written in big letters up behind me. Um, and, and we're looking at how the gospel changes us from the inside out. And as we've walked through these three, now four short weeks, our basic assertion has been this, that true faith is always a matter of the heart. And so being always comes before doing. What you are and how you're being transformed in what you are on the inside always comes before what you do on the outside. It must. So you could think of it this way. The, the first week we looked at the plain fact that transformation has to happen in the heart first. And we looked at how that works, how that is a thing that God first does to us when we are saved, and then he continues to do that within us throughout our life as we are sanctified, as we are transformed. The second week we looked at how transformation flows from the heart to the tongue. Uh, the words that we speak are changed as we are changed by the word of Jesus in our hearts. The third week, Eric very ably took us to how transformation flows from the heart to the hands, to our actions, to what we do. And finally, this week, we want to see how transformation flows out from the heart to the feet. To the places that we go and the people that we go to, specifically. Those who misunderstood the metaphor and were waiting for a sermon on kickboxing, I'm so sorry. And so what we're going to see today is essentially two things. We're going to see that, that the question, is it I, Lord, has been given an emphatic answer. I'm just going to jump the gun in here and say that. It's been given a yes by God for everyone who is a believer in Jesus. Every genuine Christian is a sent Christian. We're tasked with bringing the gospel into the lives of the lost. But second, that our sending isn't just a dry duty. That this isn't just something that we have to do. This isn't just some, some uncomfortable God demand on our lives. It is the overflow of what God has done and is doing in our hearts. 
And to get there, we're going to sit ourselves down in this short little passage in John, a very significant passage in John's Gospel. If you haven't already, turn to John chapter 20. Now, the temptation that I feel when I read this passage uh, is to jump straight to the middle of verse 21, where he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. Um, those, those are probably the key words. But, but it's actually really important that we don't do that. Um, because the only way we won't be completely overwhelmed by the calling that we've been called into is if we see what happens just before this. First, let's set the scene, shall we? So the disciples are sitting in a room, we're told. The doors are locked from the inside. Uh, well, I mean, it doesn't actually say from the inside, but we, we get the impression that it is, because why? They're terrified. <laughs> three days earlier, um, no, actually, let's go back further than that. For the past three years, these guys have followed Jesus and believed that Jesus, that he is the Messiah, he is the Saviour, he is the come, one who's come to rescue us. For three years, they've been publicly associated with Jesus. Everyone has seen them walking with him. He's, he's chosen out, particularly 12 of them, he's chosen out, or 11 remaining, chosen out in front of crowds that these will be my apostles, right? And, and three days ago, the G Jewish authorities had, had had Jesus publicly killed kind of colluding with Rome there to do that. Imagine, if you will, that today the police burst into, you know, Hilsey comes in here um, and, and he, um, he tackles me down and cuffs John. It seems unlikely, but, um, and, and he drags me away, right? Probably shouldn't have picked a specific police officer. I love Dave Hills, by the way. He's a lovely guy. Um, you know, and it's not because, well, I've done something that's just come to light that's awful. It's, it's because I'm the pastor of Gospel Church, and, and that's why the police, let's make it the general police, are, are dragging John away um, because, because I'm, I'm the leader here. And, and imagine for the moment, um, you know, that, that you see that happen and that you're maybe one of our deacons or, or you're one of, one of our Gospel community leaders or you're an elder candidate. Um, and, and now imagine that, that um, feeling that might come over you if that was the case, you know. John's just been arrested. Why was John arrested? By the way, I'm not saying I'm like Jesus. I'm a, in some ways, hopefully. But, uh, but John's arrested because he's a pastor, because they don't like this church, because this has to end, okay. And you're someone whose name is publicly associated with me and with this church, Imagine the fear. Imagine the turmoil that you might feel and you get like a limited version, a very limited version of what the disciples must have felt. What they, um, what they must have felt on the inside when they were trembling away, locked away, when not just their pastor and friend, but their saviour was dragged away and, and didn't like do a sudden last minute rescue, but like died instead. And then Jesus just shows up. Like, like it just happens. It doesn't, it doesn't even get to explain to us. Locked doors, no problem. He's just there among them and he says, peace be with you. Yeah, we might read those words and it's very tempting just to see them as like just a bit of a greeting. Um, John decides to specifically record that Jesus repeats these words. He says it twice. 
And he shows them the reason for peace. He shows them his hands and he shows them his side. Imagine the peace that this must have brought to their hearts. Here's these guys who are trembling, scared, hiding because they're afraid that what happened to him is going to happen to them. And Jesus shows up and he shows them his hands that have holes in them. And he shows them his side where a spear went in and killed him uh, or or double-checked that he was dead, actually. Um, (laughs) And they go, wow, this is really the same guy. This is the same Jesus who we saw die three days ago. He's got the marks to prove it. But that can mean only one thing. He's overcome the grave. And he says again, peace be with you. Jesus had said to them the day before he died, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And now, here in this locked room, the reality of those words is on display to them. Jesus took the worst that the world could throw at him. And he has overcome the world. He has overcome death. And that's not just true of his death or of his tribulation. It is true for all who follow him, he says. And that means that for the followers of Jesus, even though the world might throw difficulties at us, even though tribulations will come our way in this world, and the Bible promises that tribulation is meant to be like a constant reality of the Christian life. But even though that will come our way, in Jesus we have peace because he has overcome it already we have deep-seated joy that can lead us to go on tell you what let me pause what i'm doing here and just say for a moment that we never want to assume that everyone here knows jesus and maybe you don't and maybe you're hearing me talking about peace in him a peace that comes through the gospel a peace that overcomes all of the troubles of this world, and you go like, well, I, look, I haven't even believed in Jesus, and I know there's trouble in this world. In fact, I carry a lot of it, and, and, and I don't feel that peace. I don't know that peace. And let me say, that peace can be yours. If you trust in Jesus, if you trust in his saving work at the cross, that peace can be yours today. If you turn away from sin, if you believe in him, you can go from the turmoil of this life to the peace that is in Christ Jesus. If you want to talk to someone about that afterwards, hey, I'm open. Um, There's a bunch of other people around here who would be as well. But back onto this. It is so important when we talk about this whole area of mission, of reaching the lost, that we talk about this, that we talk about the peace, because it's not just something you do, it's something that you are. If you're not gripped with the joy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection that is awaiting you and has happened already by spirit, if if that doesn't hold your heart, the, the deep peace of knowing, knowing that he rose and that in this all of your joy, your hope, your salvation is completed, if that doesn't fill your heart, then you will not be active in reaching the lost. That's that's just a fact. But we have that peace offered to us 
and we need to be filled up with it. Um, and there's, there's a dynamic of the mission here, actually, that's, that's often missed and here just on display in John's Gospel. Comes into the, the Bible a whole bunch of times. Here it is. You're filled in order to overflow. He pours peace into us in order that it might overflow out of us to others. Uh, in John 7, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you see the, the pattern there? We, we come to Jesus to be filled as we trust in him, as we believe in him. He gives life and peace and joy. He gives the saving grace of God to us in abundance. But those who drink overflow. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that's exactly what we see being practiced in John 20. Jesus fills his disciples with peace through his resurrection. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He fills them up and then sends them out to overflow with peace to others. He commissions his followers and this goes for every follower of Jesus for all of time. He commissions them to go. He commissions us to go in the peace of the resurrection and to bring the good news to all. Obviously, this means that everyone who receives the peace of Jesus is sent to bring the peace of Jesus to others. By the very nature of having had the peace of God poured into you, you're sent. You're commissioned to bring his peace to the lost. This means also that if you're not continually drinking from Jesus, being transformed in the inside by him, then you won't be overflowing to others like you were made to do. It's so vital that we get this. And the reason it's vital is what we see in those final verses. John writes this. He says, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What's he saying here? I, lo I love how one author put this. His name's Ian Duguid. I, I only just figured out how to pronounce that recently. Duguid is how it's spelt. But he wrote, he wrote that when Jesus breathes on the disciples and mentions the reception of the Holy Spirit and then tells them that anyone they forgive is forgiven, while anyone they do not forgive is not forgiven, he is telling the disciples that they are his replacement as the place on earth where God is present and forgiveness is found. Or, we are the place on earth where God is, God's presence is to be found and his forgiveness is to be found. Because his spirit is in us and he sends us out to bring his kingdom. Guys, there's peace and power for the mission that Jesus has sent us on in the resurrection of Jesus. Doesn't he give us peace? Doesn't he give us power for it there? But here we see there is also urgent purpose in the mission. Jesus has sent us out, church, 
And we're going to spend like nine, nine extra weeks looking at this bit, which is going to go on in the feet for the rest of this whole gospel-shaped outreach thing. But, but Jesus has sent us out. Don't wait till the end to be a part of it. He has empowered us by the spirit of the almighty God poured into us. Nice playing, Charlie. As the representatives of the presence of God in this world and as the ambassadors of his grace, bringing the gospel into the lives of others. Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ. In this world, you represent another kingdom. And through you, the grace and peace of our great king is breaking into this world. As our hearts are transformed in relationship with Jesus, we are led to overflow with his grace. And this is the way that God has chosen for people to encounter his presence today and to receive his forgiveness. This is our ministry. This is, this is your ministry. I wonder, like, aren't the words a little bit scary there in John? He says, anyone you deny forgiveness to is denied. Like, who might we deny forgiveness to by our lack of action, by our failing to step into this? This is more than a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. Now, we talk a lot about mission here at Gospel Church. Um, a lot about the need for the people of God to be involved in the mission that God has given us and that God, in fact, is active in doing in this world to bring the good news to the lost. Um, in fact, it's stronger than that. Mission isn't just a thing that we do. Mission is a thing that is a core part of who we are. You might hear me say that and think, do we really talk a lot about this? I mean, I don't, I don't remember that. And, and, and gently, lovingly, do these words sound familiar? In Christ, you have a new identity as a missionary child of God. That's, that's, that's a record we've been playing on repeat for about 12 months now. And, and we say it because it's true, uh, because the Bible is full of it. You're, you're cold as a missionary child of God. You have an identity there. Did you know that John's gospel has dozens, dozens of references, scores even, if you want to count in old words, um, to the, the fact that the Father sent the Son into the world? Like it gets said more times than there are chapters in the book of John. It is so central to John's understanding of who Jesus is that Jesus was sent by the Father to bring salvation to the lost. As the Father has sent me in the same way, I am sending you. He says it twice. Once before the cross, once after the resurrection to make sure we get the point. Jesus uh, sorry, just like Jesus is sent, you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, are sent to seek and to save the lost, to bring life, to bring the gospel. As we end today, I want to address the elephant in the room. Um, perhaps you are convinced that you're sent, right? Maybe, maybe you sit and hear that and you go, great. Wonderful, good, John, um, but, but I kind of just feel immobilized. 
by, by the weight of it, by the magnitude of the task. How could little old me, how could little old us be up to the calling to see souls saved? I hear you, by the way. Let me give you some good news and some advice. First, it's true. You can't save anyone. And that's not just because you're rubbish. It's not just because I'm incapable. It's because no one can. For a person to be saved takes a movement of the Spirit of God in their heart. You don't save people. God saves people. Be relieved of this pressure if it's a pressure you've been laboring under. It's not your job to make sure that they are definitely, definitely saved. But rather than make us slack in the mission, that truth should fuel our drive to reach the lost even more so. Because God's chosen way of saving people is to instrumentally use his people to do that. You don't save people. God saves people through you. You are his instrument. This is a humbling and confidence-building reality. The baton doesn't lead the orchestra. Right? What's he called? The uh, conductor. Thank you. The conductor leads the orchestra, and he uses the baton to do it. You don't save people. God saves people and he uses you instrumentally to do it as you willingly step out in faith. See what this means. It's, it's not about you. Because he is God, God can use anyone. The question is not, am I good enough to reach people? The question is, is he great enough to reach people? And if you've met God, yes, is the answer. He has chosen he has said that it will be through his people, the church, that people are saved, as he does it. Now, that should free us to step into the mission. That should relieve us a bit of, of a bit of that weight, knowing that it is God who works through us. And one way that that frees us is it frees us to approach this intentionally. Because even, even knowing that God is the one at work in you... Um, you know, that, that he's the one, that you're the instrument, he's the one at work, it still feels a bit overwhelming, right? Like, just a bit. I am to live obediently in the light of the reality that he's using me instrumentally to save people. That still feels a bit overwhelming. Like, practically, it's just like, like you don't know where to start, maybe. Um, and so I just want to finish today on a practical note by giving you um, three short categories that help you to break this down and approach it with intention and with confidence. Yeah, I, I just, I'm stealing this from someone else, but I find it so helpful in my own approach to this. Three words that will make you, uh, make your part in this make a bit more sense, maybe. And although I, I never do this, they, they come in, they're, they're alliterating, it's three Cs, so there you go. Contact, connect, conversion. Contact, connect, conversion. So, Our natural light, our natural feeling is we just want to skip to conversion, right? Like, like we're just like, okay, let's, I'm going to go out on the mission and this person's going to be saved and boom, I'm done, right? But that's, that's not actually really practically how it usually works. First, there must be contact. 
Here's the question. Where in your life are you intentionally making contact with people who don't know Jesus? Do you have those contexts in your life? In order to be faithful to the call to go and make disciples, every Christian must have context in their lives where they are in contact with people who do not know Jesus, where they're getting to know them, you know, more than a grocery line. Although that can be a meaningful context. For most, this doesn't necessarily mean that you need to add something to your life. You, know, you might hear me say that and be like, gosh, I've already got so many things going on. How can I add another thing to my life? But it means you need to at least step back and maybe practice this this week. Step back, look at your life. Look at this week and say, okay, how are my hours being used? And ask the question, when are the times in my week when I am in contact with people who don't know Jesus and am I stewarding those opportunities well for the glory of God? And, and maybe you hear it and go, well, mate, th those don't exist. Maybe you're going to sit back and you're going to look at your week and you go, wow, I, actually, I spend all of my time either alone or with Christians. Um, and, and, and brother, sister, um, if that's you, this does call for some recalibration in your life. You know, you might look at it and go, I'm just really busy. How could I possibly fit that into my life? But, you know, God has called you as a missionary child. This is about who you are. It's a chance to step back and go, wow, what are, the, what are the things that I put before what God has said I am in my life? But, you know, um, it could be that those opportunities exist through work, through sport, through clubs, through associations, just through people you hang out with, I don't know, whatever. But maybe you might need to start thinking intentionally about actually getting to know people there. Does that sound disingenuous? Maybe, um, what if I say it like this? Those people genuinely need Jesus. And he has called you to show love to them in his name. That means getting uncomfortable by having conversations with people you don't know. That means giving your time to get to know people. That means being the one who takes the first steps in, in, in making you know, making the dinner invite, making the coffee invite, just hanging out. This is, this is not just a, a laborious task. This is our chance to have peace flow through us to others. Two, connect. So contact, connect. How, here's the question. How are you seeking to connect these people that you can contact with? How do you seek to connect them with faith and with the community of faith? The New Testament does not typically envisage us as lone rangers who are on the mission, but as a community together on the mission. Now, certainly, we still have our individual lives where we're trying to reach people, connect with people, but it's so important not to just try to go it alone all the time. A person doesn't need to be a Christian before they get to meet your Christian friends. You know, Sam Chan, he offers a, a bit of advice on this, one unbelievably sensible piece of advice. He says, um, make your friends their friends. So often Christians will have their Christian friends and their unbelieving friends, the people from church in your life and the people from outside of church in your life, right? And those are kind of two fields. But let those things 
run into each other. You feel like you're running out of time? Great, just mash them together. Two things become one. That's, that's efficiency at its best. If you're joining a team or a club, do it with a Christian friend. If you're having people over to tea, invite people who do know Jesus and invite people who don't know Jesus. Try to bring people into contact with the community of faith, with the other people who you know who are tasked with being the representatives of God's presence and forgiveness in this world. It's not just on you. Bring them into contact with the faith, not just with the people of the faith. Remember what we said in the, in the tongue part of this series, right? Seek to grow in the gospel personally, devotionally, and in community, and seek to speak out the truth that you are being transformed and grown in. When that person says to you, I'm struggling in my marriage, to offer them how the gospel has helped you. When that person says to you, oh man, I'm just so sick of life, offer them the way that the gospel gives meaning to your life. So contact, connect, conversion. You can, uh, can you be bold enough to invite that person to come and know Jesus? Can you be the one to explain the truth of Jesus to them maybe? To share your story of how he came in and rescued you, to tell them your testimony, how he continues to do that all the time for you. You know, like we said, though, this is a team thing. This isn't just a, a Lone Ranger thing. Can you be bold enough to invite them to the Life Series? Invite them to church. It, it, maybe for some of us, you know, that's, that's all we do is just go, hey, um, there's this thing that's given me a lot of meaning in my life, <laughs> a lot of peace that saved me. What, do you want to come to the Life Series? Find out about Jesus. You seem like you've got a lot of questions about life. Come to the Life Series. You know, let me say it again. Maybe for some of us, this just still feels a bit too constructed. A bit too intentional. Um, and that feels to us a bit disingenuous. Let me ask a question. Wives. Um, does it feel disingenuous if your husband is intentional about planning time to spend with you? Are there no wives here today? Did I miss that? Doesn't feel disingenuous? I'm getting one head shake. Is there any nods? Like, does it feel disingenuous if he goes, you know what, we're going to do a date, we're going to do a date next Thursday, and you're like, gosh, I wish you were just more spontaneous. Like, is it? <laughs> it's not right. It's, it's loving. It's intentional. We can be intentional about so many things in our lives. We can be intentional about sports, finding time for sports. We can be intentional about finding time for work. We can be intentional about finding time for TV. We, we take those things very seriously to be intentional about them, to think them through and to be strategic and go, you know what, I'm going to make sure I've got time for this. I'm going to do it well because the mash reruns aren't going to last forever. It's time to stop treating Jesus as the hobby and other things as real life. Let's turn that on its head and be a people who seek to bring the gospel to others who, who go from the heart. Would you, would you pray with me about that? Jesus, we pray 
Lord, for anyone here who's heard the gospel news today, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, and hasn't believed it, that this would be the day. If they're seeking to take that step of faith, we pray that this would be the day that, that they would be able to just turn and say, Lord, I've been running from you and now I run to you. Save me. I trust in you, Jesus. For many of us, Lord, this area of the mission you have sent us on, it seems overwhelming and fearful. Lord, we acknowledge we've tried to go it alone. Many of us have tried to uh, do it in our own steam. And Lord, we just pray that you would be pouring your peace into our hearts. We want to be filled up with Jesus. And we want to overflow with your peace to the world. Make us a people who are intentional, who can do that in the passion of what you have given us. Who can make contacts. Who can grow genuine friendships. Who can genuinely bring truth and bring community by your Spirit's power with people who don't know you and with people who do. Lord, bring salvation. Let us walk as your instruments and we pray that you would use us instrumentally and that people would come to know you through us. We humbly pray it knowing that we're not up to it but that you are. In Jesus' name, amen.